This week's episode of On Comedy Writing is brought to you by Handy. Do you, do you have an odd job uh, that you need to get done? Uh, by uh, <laughs> And by odd job, I mean, do you have a, a villain from a movie? You remember that? Odd job from, uh, from Austin Powers? Is that his name? I'm going to look that up. Sorry, hold on a second. Uh, talk to yourself. I'm going to... Oh. Oh, okay. So, uh, okay. So, odd job is the James Bond villain, I think, from Gold uh, Goldfinger. But Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery has random task, uh, which is a very funny a very funny joke by Mike Myers as a as a parody of of Odd Job. So that's that's fascinating. Oh my! Oh my. <laughs> All right, now I don't want to get into the weeds here, but. The the actor who played him is currently serving life in prison in California for torture. Uh, <laughs> should I start this ad over? No, I'm gonna keep going. Oh God, it's actually a very wow. Okay, it's actually a very sad story. I'm gonna try to move on. Uh, this ad is already so long compared to all the other ones, but um, so handy. You get experienced and background check professionals who will not torture you unlike uh, random task the actor you played random task there's easy online payment rescheduling i had a whole bit planned but i'm just gonna run through this now affordable and flexible cleaning plans request your favorite professionals not random task every cleaning is insured uh you won't get murdered so book a cleaner today and save by going to boardwalkcom slash handy that's boardwalkcom slash handy this is a boardwalk audio podcast on comedy writing on comedy writing thanks for downloading this episode of on comedy writing the podcast of the business of craft of writing comedy i'm your host alan johnson we've got a great episode but first the best way to support this show is by going to board.com slash on comedy writing click the supporter artist button shop on amazon and Hollywood, you get a little kickback our guest this week is Asher Perlman. Asher is a very talented improviser. He's on Improvised Shakespeare Company and did a lot of stuff in Chicago at I.O. and Second City. Um, and he was just a writer on The Opposition. So here is Asher Perlman. Uh, Asher, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, where are you from originally? I am from Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, cool. Uh, I'm from Dallas, but my... Uh, my mom has family in uh, McQuan, Milwaukee in McQuan. Ah, very cool. And yeah. we are both from uh, sort of more liberal areas in an otherwise red-er state, right? Yeah. Well, I guess Milwaukee is kind of a swing state, right, usually? Wisconsin? Yes. Or yeah. Yeah, Wisconsin. Yeah, it, it, Milwaukee. Yeah, but Milwaukee yeah. is, for, is a swing city. Um, uh, Wisconsin is a swing state, but Madison is firmly blue. Yeah, because it's kind yeah. of a college town, right? Yeah. That's, did you like growing up in Madison? I loved it. It's... Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very pleasant place. Uh, everything's very close. Everyone's very nice. Yeah, those are. That's what I look for in a place. <laughs> is it pleasant and are people nice? Yeah. Did, were you like? Uh, were you like parents? Like, did they work at the university or something, or just like they just lived in Madison? No, but that's a really good question because most people's parents work in the university. I imagine. Yeah. yeah, the high school I went to. Uh, I think I was probably one of three kids whose parents did not really work at the university <laughs> um no but my dad's uh parents were there for a long time and so we just happened to be there yeah did you did you like comedy when you're growing up oh man yes i mean everyone loves comedy to some extent it's right? true yeah yeah 
my dad always introduced uh, would he, he my dad introduced us to lots of comedy when we were younger um, stuff like the Marx Brothers and you know Three Stooges that kind of thing I watched, which also uh, makes my dad sound very old <laughs> which is not, not not the case I watched um, I forget what movie it was Duck not Duck Soup but um, Animal Crackers could have been. Is, is that the one with the what's the one with the dictator like the fake uh, Fredonia or something that one? Oh, free free Fredonia. Yeah, th- I think that's Animal Crackers. Animal Crackers. But, but man, any comedy nerd listening to this will email you and tell you <laughs> yeah, if you're right. Wrong. Uh, yeah, hit me up on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, please tweet. Yeah. They did. They did like uh, I think like one of their famous ones is like where they're doing the mirror scene, mm-hmm. and it's like ten minutes, which is crazy. I mean, it kind of still works, but it is it is long. That is. A fair critique, and I feel like um, there are some some things that hold up with old comedies, and there are some things that don't. And one thing that probably doesn't is the amount of time they spend doing any one. Scene. Right. Yeah. It it is weird because uh, I guess you know it's weird because like in comedy, I feel like like if, if you watch a movie from the seventies and you say it's too slow, it's kind of like a almost like a bullshit thing to say because like. I don't know. I feel like if someone says it's too slow, you get judged for saying that. Like if the deer hunter, like they shouldn't spend so much time in the wedding. Maybe, but, <laughs> yeah. but with comedy, I feel like that is very much an okay criticism because it is like, it is too slow. I don't know. No, I think that's fair. I mean, we're all, we're always building on, you know, what's come before us, right? Mm. Like if you watch Hitchcock now, the funniest of comedy. So if you watch <laughs> Hitchcock now, you, you'll probably see a lot of the twists coming, but that's right. because every other um, you know, suspense and horror movie after it has been inspired by it and built on it. Mm-hmm. But in the time, it was yeah, very good. It was great. Yeah. Uh, so you like the, did you, did you watch like uh, other stuff besides the, the Marsh Brothers and uh, Three Stooges? Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I also, this is like the quintessential comedian conversation. Yeah. Two guys talking about how the Marsh Brothers are still good. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Of course. Um, you know, SNL, Mad TV, all that. Mm-hmm. All that good stuff. All the stuff that you have access to as a kid. Right. Yeah. Mad TV, that, that show was kind of crazy. They did some crazy sketches on that show. The, it's I haven't watched it, but yeah. having just thought about it in retrospect, very problematic in a lot of ways. A lot of problematic sketches. Yeah. That I don't know. Maybe they still were. I don't know. They're probably not. But maybe they're still funny, but you can't. You're not supposed to like them, I guess. Yeah, I, I truly don't. I mean... I actually don't think I want to watch it again because I feel like there's so many things I haven't watched that I'd rather watch for the first right, time. Right. But <laughs> Matt TV. it would be an interesting experiment to go back and rewatch yeah. all that TV. Because like, uh, like Miss Swan, that was um, that was like a woman, a white woman playing. Or no, it was a guy. No, it was a woman. I don't know what her nationality is. Oh right, I think it's Alex Bornstein. Right? Yeah, yeah. So probably I don't know, but yeah, she played Miss Swan, which is probably extremely racist today. I mean. Probably couldn't do that. Yeah, shouldn't do that. Yeah. Shouldn't do that. Um, did you did you like do any like writing or performing stuff growing up? Yeah, so I got my um, my very first start at comedy sports. Oh, okay, which is uh, short form improv, mm-hmm. competitive short form improv. Yeah, uh, Madison had a a uh, a branch of comedy sports downtown. So when I was in high school, I started taking classes there, and then of course I did improv in high school. There was like an after school mm-hmm. improv group. Um, and then, and then, yeah, so I started doing comedy sports and, uh, so yes, that's what I did. What, what, what drew you to like improv in general growing up? I think just because it was fun. I feel like at that point in my life I was, well, actually maybe at every point in my life, but I was very focused on doing what was fun. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I went to a show and 
watched the people on stage and thought, wow, they really look like they're having a good time. And maybe that's just because they were good actors. But then when I joined uh, the group, it indeed uh, turned out to be a very fun thing to yeah. do. So. Uh, in Milwaukee or Wisconsin, I guess has a big comedy sports, right? Or had a big comedy sports scene, right? I think it started in Milwaukee. Wow. Okay. So now, but if I'm wrong, now we have two things that true <laughs> right. comedy nerds can email you or tweet you. About. Yeah, the comedy nerds love to talk about the origins <laughs> of uh, comedy sports. <laughs> One of the most hotly debated topics <laughs> in the comedy scene: How did comedy sports start and where? So you were like a, a high school kid, and these are like old, much, much older people, I'd imagine. Yeah, there was a. A lot of them were college kids, and then there were uh, a handful of a- <laughs> adults. I mean, the college kids were adults, too. Yeah. There were a handful of older um, performers who had been doing it a very long time. So, so it was a wide range. So what was it like being kind of like uh, the youngest person doing doing it, probably? For me, it was great, and I didn't think much of it. I'm sure for the older people in the group, it might have been uh, frustrating because right. I'm sure I was making very bad moves and being very <laughs> sophomoric but um but yeah no it was fun i think well they were being sophomore because they were sophomores in, in college yeah, so, yeah that's a go-to joke of mine i always use when someone says sophomore <laughs> and it worked out well because you said college kids yeah no so. I, I i played right at see yeah. i know this is one of your bits so i wanted to play it to your hand <laughs> and give you an opportunity to bust out your sophomore yeah, well, thank you yeah yeah um but yeah no it was fun do, uh, do you like short form today? Like now having done like much more improv and more long form, I'm guessing, do, do you still like short form? Yeah. I mean, I think it's all fun. Um, I know that uh, within the comedy world, at least there's more judgment of short form than long form probably. But I, I think that it's, it's all fun. And if, if you have good people doing it, it will be satisfying and enjoyable to watch mm-hmm. and do. Do, do, do short form? Do you think like teach you different skills than than long form for like say to apply to like writing later? Ooh, I'm not sure. I I, I remember one person saying that um, short form prepared you better for joke writing because because all it's all mostly jokes. It's all. I mean, some of the games are explicitly improvised to joke right now. Right. So in that sense, I suppose it would probably be better for joke writing. Mm-hmm. And so uh, after, so when you, did you go to college? I did, yeah, just north in Appleton, Wisconsin. Oh, I also have family in Appleton. Oh, you do? This yeah. is okay. We're finding all these connections. Yeah. Where in Appleton? Oh, man, I wish I knew. I should know this. I mean, they've lived in Appleton for a long time. Well, but... unless it's on the college campus, I won't know oh, then great. It's <laughs> what not. you're talking about. It's okay, not. so off the off campus. Is okay. that, was that like UW Appleton? No, it's called uh, Lawrence University. It's a small, oh, smaller Oh, I think I've driven school. by that, you know, when I was there. A very cute, uh, yeah. yeah, again, a very cute place. Uh-huh. Uh, nice, kind people, so... Uh-huh. It fit my needs. Did did you were you still doing comedy stuff there? Or did you are you really thinking like no more comedy for me? <laughs> yeah, I'm done with comedy. No, I, I I did not major in acting or performing, but uh, while I was there, I, I performed in all the plays, half of which I think were comedies. Mm-hmm. And then there was a college improv troupe that um, performed, I think, once a term or something like that. Oh, really? Yeah. That's rough. Once a term is like not much at all. Well, we practice very frequently. <laughs> yeah, <it's> classic. <laughs> the shows themselves were infrequent. Do, do you have any favorite uh, roles from your acting time? Ooh, uh, from plays? From plays, yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm not sure. I, um, when I was a kid, I did uh, a group called the Young Shakespeare Players, which was kids doing unedited Shakespeare. Oh. And... I put, yeah, uh, which was, just imagine being our parents in the audience yeah, right. <laughs> watching that. That'd be um, funny to watch, I guess. <laughs> well, they were very, I think, funny. Yeah, they were very long. 
So we did. We did. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow! <laughs> Just because unedited, yeah. unedited. Um, um, I think I think we did a production of Cymbeline that was not. I don't think I'm exaggerating. I think it was five hours long, and this is with an intermission. Um, and and how old are you guys? Well, the group was eight year olds to eighteen year olds, and I think it's skewed probably closest to you know twelve, thirteen, something like that. Wow, wow, that that is insane to hear that that exists. It was ambitious. I think it's really cool. I love the group. Yeah. Um, I hope it's still around. I haven't looked it up, but I'm. If you're in Madison and you're listening to this now, this is the third thing you can email us <laughs> yeah. about uh, whether or not Young Shakespeare players still exist. <laughs> Um, and then you later did uh, Shakespeare, Improvised Shakespeare. Yeah, so... Um, so that kind of helped, maybe. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, so then later I joined the Improvised Shakespeare yeah. Company, and that's, you know, uh, full, fully improvised Shakespearean plays. But we pull on the... Pull from um, real Shakespeare plays, right. themes, to character types, mm-hmm. uh, tropes, that kind of thing. So, yes. Yeah. So, so after college, did you just immediately go to Chicago? I did. I went straight there. Um, it was it was Chicago or, or L.A. where those were my options that I gave myself, uh-huh. and so I chose Chicago. Why Chicago? Because it's close by. Yeah, I think. Well, I had friends there, so that made it an easier transition. Mm-hmm. And the band I was performing or uh, performing with. Gosh, it's been a long time since I've been in a band. The band I was playing with at the time, um, two two the, two of them are going to Chicago, so we thought, well, we could continue our band. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think also it was just closer to home and, you know, all my, my family's at that point, they were all in the Midwest and I didn't want to be the one person right, right, right. by the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> what was, uh, what was your band like? Oh, it was just, uh, or sorry, now I'm downplaying it. It was, it was very fun. It was a pop, it was a pop band. Oh, cool. Yeah. Do you, do you find any similarity between like making music and, and like doing comedy at all? I don't know. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I, well, I guess in songwriting, uh, well, this is hard because I actually didn't write many of the songs, but I do feel like you have to support each other's ideas and build on them. So I, yeah, I guess in that sense, and and you're you know being creative and trying to um, make something that people want to enjoy. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, too. Yeah, it seems similar to improv, pretty more more improv than like a, like a, like stand up or something. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think if there are any. Analogs to stand up. Well, I guess you're on stage. Poetry, poetry. Yeah, yeah. It's poetry in a yeah. lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, so you went to Chicago. Did you know you wanted to like pre- keep doing improv? Yeah. So um, uh, I, I moved there intent on studying at the Second City, just because that was sort of the. If you're not in Chicago and you're not in comedy, Second City is kind of the big name that you might know. Mm-hmm. So that I, I went there and started the, in their conservatory program, and that was sort of how I kept it going. Did you did you immediately like like it? Oh, I loved it. I mean, yeah. it, what's not to love? It's yeah. you're surrounded by you know fun, funny people who are all passionate and mm-hmm. giving their life to this thing. I mean, I think th- there's I can't think of a better way to spend your post collegiate life right studying something like improv. Or, yeah, yeah. It is. It does feel like college again. I mean, I'm sure conservatory <laughs> even more so than other places, but doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, because you think you've been living your life in these four year chunks, where every, every four years <laughs> yeah. you're you're given a certificate that says you've just completed those four years <laughs> yeah. successfully. Uh, improv sort of extends that, so that every year you could complete a program and say, "Hey, you you are yeah. currently progressing through life." But <laughs> after that is when you realize those benchmarks are not actually. Uh, 
they don't continue. Right. Yeah. And I know Second City uh, has like a, a different approach to sketch, right, than most other places. Is that right? Yeah, they they do have writing programs, and people will bring in complete sketches. But the on the when, once you're on a resident stage, the process you go through, they call it um, they call it process. They say we are we are in process, and what that oh, means wow. is you are uh, improvising scenes on a nightly basis in front of an audience, and then re-improvising those scenes to try to find the best version of that scene. So. There are there there are some completely written sketches that people bring in, but for the most part, it, you find it through improv. So when you when you say that, so like you you reimprovise it like every like performance, like performing it for other people, or you do like a, a rehearsal where you reimprovise it. Ooh, so both. So the oh, the, the thing that sort of sets Second City apart from a lot of theaters is that there are no dark weeks and never the the show never stops. Mm-hmm. So it just sort of rolls from one into the next. So as you're moving from you know, review 115 to review 116, you just start slowly swapping out scenes from 115. And then once you've swapped out all of them and polished it and given it lighting and everything you need, then it, it just is uh, show 116. So you'll have an opening for the show that has effectively been running in a lot of ways for a couple of weeks right, at that point. Interesting. Yeah. Do you, uh, so do you like that approach to, to sketch to like beat it out, like, in, like actually like doing it? I like I the one thing I really like about it is it's very collaborative, and so so if I bring in a sketch and you know I say we're two grave diggers and um, you know we're <laughs> this is probably just because we were just talking about Shakespeare but uh, I say we're two grave diggers and uh, we're talking about our lives and yeah. I you know I don't really know where it's going from there as my scene partner you you'll you, you'll contribute and the sketch will end up being half yours right um, which is good versus like when you bring in a finished sketch and then it's like. But all, most of the the thing is yours, and then people like add on stuff, but it's like your sketch pretty much. Yeah, you feel more ownership over. It. Yeah, I like I like that in the collaborative uh, show. You all feel more ownership over it, and also it it uh, allows people to bring their own voice to a sketch that might not be theirs. Right. So if I bring in a sketch that I really like, and then I'm like, hey, you guys are all going to play your own characters. You decide what you want those to be. But mm-hmm. I'm running a town hall meeting, and we're trying to figure out the community center or whatever it is. Right, right. And then everyone sort of gets to pick their own character right, and right. say what they want to say, which is a good thing. And there's an interesting thing about that, too, because um, I know like a lot of sketch performances tend to be like, if you're over-rehearsed, then they tend to be very like stale. And there's not so much like, uh, I guess discovery, like on the stage of like what you're doing, which I coming from me, a guy who does not act very much, <laughs> to say there's not discovery on stage sounds very stupid. But no, uh, it does feel like having that improvised does like build, like have that kind of magic, I guess, to it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, it keep yeah it keeps it fresh, and since it's also you know the lay on is that it's at least semi improvised every night until the show opens, then it's pretty locked in, but. People can you, you can still surprise each other as you're figuring this thing out, and the potential for surprise, even if it doesn't happen, is enough to keep you alive. Right. Yeah. I, I can imagine that it would sometimes spiral horribly, right? <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, hopefully you you, you have a, you have enough uh, enough of the structure in place that there's a safety net. But right. of course, yeah, you can you can bomb. And did you did you do uh, classes at I O as well? Yeah. So I O um, and. Uh, yeah, in Second City, and then I performed at the Annoyance, which is another one of the right. big theaters. So when you when you do improv, are you kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of a weird question to ask, but like for instance, like UCB is very game heavy, 
And so, like, IO, I think, is also game-heavy, but then some places are more about relationship and stuff. So when you do improv, I guess, are you, like, you're probably not thinking about it, but you're kind of synthesizing from everywhere, taking from every place? Yeah, I think a lot of it is um, taking your a cue from your scene partner. I mean, if they initiate a very gamey scene, then oh, you try to form some... I mean, I, well, maybe it'd be fun to try to form a really meaty relationship yeah, with yeah. that person, but, uh, you know, maybe you want to just play the game that they're setting up. But yeah, you sort of have to pivot between all the different styles. And I think the thing that... I feel like there's less of a delineation between styles than we think there is. Like, right, I think right, if you right. watch a really good improv show, they're playing a game, they're investing in, in relationships, they're doing all the things. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When you're, so when you started doing um, stuff at the conservatory and everything, how much writing are you doing during this time? Oh, yeah. Uh, not not so i mean not a lot you you bring in ideas um and there were you might bring in a monologue or something like that so i you know you'd write a little bit there but a lot of that was also improv based right right so i didn't really start writing writing in in that sense until i started doing more solo material and that's obviously very written right 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 do you, did you um i guess did you always think of yourself as an actor first or a writer first or or both or what well, I think the cool thing about Chicago and the way the scene is sort of organized is that uh, you don't really have to pick. You know, you can if if you're a performer, you probably are a writer too because you're performing your own material for mm-hmm. the most part. So I guess I saw, always saw myself as both. Mm-hmm. Do you? Well, <laughs> the cheap answer, I know. <laughs> no, well, I mean, for instance, like I, I guess in that sense, I see myself as both. Like in terms of like doing comedy, like at, at places. But I would never want to act in a in a movie or a TV. Like I never want to do a commercial or anything. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I I would I would love to act in a movie or a commercial. Yeah. So please, yeah, let everyone know I'm open. I'm oh, yeah, I'm yeah, available yeah. to perform in their movies. And I'm not. And you're not. Okay, I'll, I, I'll pass I that on to. I will refuse any offers. <laughs> you're declined. Um. So I find that interesting because because yeah, when you do comedy, I feel like, and you said interesting. You said that it was like in Chicago, you didn't have to choose. Do you feel like you have to choose like here, like in New York or L.A.? Oh, I'm not sure. Um. Yeah, I did specify Chicago. Maybe I think I just specified Chicago because that's where I know. But it could be the same everywhere. I do know that since there's more um, actual jobs in New York and LA, I think people find themselves more. I I don't know. Pigeonholed, maybe, yeah. Maybe just because, you know, if you're writing for a living, you're probably going to define yourself more as a writer. Yeah, I don't know. I I probably don't have the authority to speak to, to it. That's interesting though, because I guess in Chicago there's very few jobs, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Unemployment is ninety eight. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's very few like writing, performing jobs, so yeah. it is kind of there's less maybe I don't know, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is there's less like uh, I don't want to say not pressure, but there's less like I guess there's less. I guess pressure, yeah, pressure on like doing things or like on you know writing so like writing a pilot or something maybe. Yeah, I th- I, th- I mean people do still you know write yeah, yeah. write things. I think one thing that's uh, true, and I feel like you you hit on something by saying less pressure is that there's not really a high chance or a high probability that a uh, casting director for right. you know Universal Pictures is going to come to your improv show and I. And from what from what I understand in LA, there is a chance that someone might come to your improv show. So, I think in that sense, uh, it, you're sort of free to fail more frequently and free to um, take big risks because 
no individual show has very high stakes until you're doing something like a sh- like an SNL showcase or Just for Laughs showcase or something like that. Mm-hmm. Then obviously, you know, but the average improv show, you're not you're not going to look out and see someone right. very, very important making decisions in the mm-hmm. audience. Besides like the obvious like job thing, what's like the biggest difference in the comedy scenes between like Chicago and New York, say? Ooh, okay. So I've only been here a year, so I'm not okay. sure I can speak to it uh, a whole lot, but maybe I feel like there's more people doing um, solo and stand up and sort of more. Um, I'm not sure if this is right or not. Yeah, In yeah. my experience, which is limited, uh-huh. I would say that there's a stronger focus on solo work in New York than there is in Chicago. Interesting. Okay. Whereas Chicago feels more like it's group work oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like part of that is because there's so many independent comedy shows in New York that are legit shows that people really like and really go to and really want to do. Mm-hmm. And when you do those, you're typically booked as an individual. So right. you come in and you do your... It'd be a characters or stand up or music or whatever it is, but it's you as a person or as a, you know, as a performer, whereas in Chicago, there aren't as many, um, shows like that where you're booked as an individual, there's more improv shows and shows where three different groups will go on. Mm-hmm. So I, I, again, I don't know if that's true, but no, that, yeah. that is true to my experience. Would you, is that fit yours? Oh, listen, I, I, I also have not been here that long. I've, been, oh, okay. I've only been here for, I guess a year and a half. A little bit, or you, just a little bit over a year. Oh, okay, cool. Well, uh, then we're in the same boat. Yeah, yeah. It, does that impression match yours, though? Uh, yes, it does. I all, but I also wonder this because what's I used to live in L.A. Ah, cool. And so that that was like not as spread out in terms of. I mean, L.A. is a more spread out city, which is interesting. Oh, but the like, hiking, it was the, oh, you oh, the hiking. Oh. But um, this, the comedy scene, I think, is very easy to understand. Like, it's very much like this is a place, this is a place, and there's a couple other places, and these these are it. But in New York, I feel like there's so many different venues, so many different shows that are like, so it's harder to, I think, get a grasp of it. And to, and I, I think that's probably, I think that's why there's more like individual booking maybe because there's like the smaller scenes, the smaller shows and stuff. Yeah. And lots of bar shows. Lots of bar shows. Lots of yeah. bar shows. Um, yeah. And there's audiences for it too. I feel like a lot of the bar shows here, I feel like in, in Chicago, if you do a bar show, you're sort of accepting that there's going to be five or six people in the audience, mm-hmm. or there's a good chance there will yeah. only be five or six. But I feel like the majority of bar shows I do in New York, there's a lot of people watching yeah. the show, and I don't know where they come from, but I'm so grateful that they're there. Yeah, it is. I guess maybe it's because more drinking. I guess Chicago's a pretty drinking place, too. Oh, though. Chicago drinks. But yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I, I, I love America. I love these cities. You know? I just think <laughs> yeah. I love Chicago. I love New York. Yeah, I love LA. There's just three great cities. Three great cities. Yeah, three great cities. Would you Would you recommend starting out in Chicago? Well, I've only started out in Chicago, <laughs> so I, I I'm glad I did. And I think if you're looking to um, enter the comedy scene, it's a great place to go because it's such a supportive community, and the theaters there are also great. So I think it's a great place to start. I'm sure. New York and LA both have their upsides too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you were on, you, so we mentioned earlier the Improvised Shakespeare Company. How did you get involved with that? That is, um, it's been, so it's, uh, one guy sort of runs it. And then um, when he needs more people, he'll uh, have a workshop where he invites people that he wants to, you know, see how they do the show. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, I just, I went to a workshop and uh, joined. Yeah. Yeah. 
I remember um, I saw that show when I was really young. I was like fifth grade, I think. It was like 2005 or something. Oh my gosh. And it was, um, the suggestion was like the the merchant of of penis, like penis. Oh, okay. (laughs) Uh, And I remember thinking like, and and maybe it's because I was so young, but I also do, I remember thinking it was like magic in a way that when I saw improv later, I didn't like, I I was like, oh, I can kind of see how someone would do that. But that show I think is still very like, I mean, that's a very difficult show to do. Well, yeah, I think. Well, there, there's. Thank you for saying that. I think there's more than one skill set involved. So, um, yeah, there's. You know, there's more than one thing going on at mm-hmm. any given time. Sort of like if you go to like a, a an improv rap show, that might right. be more impressive than a straight improv show because, wow, they're you know improvising comedy and they're also rapping the whole time right. or part of the time. How do you? Yeah, how do you train to do that? Um, well, the, there's there's very few things you can practice in improv. Um, when you're not on stage, which is one of the things I think that makes it sort of hard to get good at. But uh, with the Shakespeare show specifically, there are a few things you can practice, like rhyming is something you can do anywhere. Um, And translating uh, straight English into Shakespearean English is something you can sort of practice on your own. So so you're doing those things? Well, I don't do it too much right now. I know back then when you were doing it. Well, yeah, I remember when I first joined, when I walked to IO, which is where the show Mm -hmm. is, I would um, look at, Individual, like, identify things on the street and then rhyme each thing I saw five times. Oh, wow. So just sort of to get your brain, you know, Interesting. In, in that mode. And so, I mean, how... And so you, I'm sure you had to read a lot of Shakespeare once you got on that. I'm sure you had to, like, know more Shakespeare than you did. I mean, even though you you were a, great, a Shakespeare actor. But... Yeah, I'm very, I was a Shakespearean actor yes. at the time. But, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you want to reread all the plays. And, and especially since you're... Um, you know, using tropes and plot devices from the actual plays. You want the more you have in the bank, the the better, mm-hmm. the better you are. What would you say is like a a Shakespeare trope that people don't pick up on as much? Ooh, don't pick up on? Yeah. Hmm. You mean the audience or or just people in general? I guess people in general. I don't know. Ooh, I don't know. One of my favorites is uh, or yeah. Let's see, don't, don't pick up on. Let's see. Or you can just do your favorites too. That's fine too. Well, I, I one thing I really like is. Um, letter writing and mistaken identities and how letters can oh, be sent to, to one with. person and end up at an, with you know uh, with someone else and then that changes the plot that's a fun yeah one. that's a, that's probably a fun one to do on on stage too yeah and it's fun to see like where this improvised letter ends up yeah so so yeah how did you get good at like the language you just like read shakespeare and like and practiced it i guess i th- yeah i guess so um yeah, just just reading it and then doing it. I mean, it's like any show. The more you do it, the the better you'll be. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think yeah, just doing it, which uh, I guess is true of sort of all comedy, right? It's like right. You know, how do you get good at stand up? You just do stand up. How do you yeah. get good at writing? It's true. The sitcoms you write sitcoms. Yeah. So it's like the more you do it, the better you'll be. It, I, I I am yeah. I haven't seen that show in a while, but it, when I've seen it, I'm always like, this is the most insane thing to watch. Oh my gosh! Life. Thank you, thank you. It's it's incredible. Um, and until recently, I think it, it was an all male cast, right? And they, they changed that very recently. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not a part of the, um, sort of the decision-making right. uh, part of the group, but, uh, yeah, I know that they're uh, going to be having auditions with, um, all genders and mm-hmm. opening it up. Yeah. I mean, it's good. I think. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're very excited. So, so what, what brought you to, uh, New York? So I moved out here for a job um, mm-hmm. for the opposition with Jordan Klepper. Right. So I moved out here in August of 2017. Nice. Um, yeah, <laughs> I had to do the math. Um, and so I moved out here, I think, four or five days before the show started. 
Oh, wow. That's just very tight. Quick turnaround, yeah. you know, real quick turnaround. Lived out of a hotel for a week and yeah. then subletted and I found my own place. Were, were you sad to leave Chicago? I was definitely sad to leave the um, the, the people and the, the shows out there that I really liked. Um, I, w- I was ready to leave the city. I mean, I'd been there, uh, you know, a handful of years and I was up for a change. So in that mm-hmm. sense, it was very welcome. Mm-hmm. And so how'd the, how'd the opposition come about? So I just submitted a packet. You know, the um, Jordan Klepper is an IO Second City guy from Chicago. So I think when he got his show, everyone in Chicago was very excited to say, oh, this, you know, one of our own is, right. you know, uh, going to host his own show in Comedy Central. Very exciting. So then when, when the packets went out, um, I just submitted just like I would to any other show and then made it. I think there were a second round and then final round and then interviews. Mm-hmm. And then that was it. Were you were you submitting a lot of packets at this time? Yeah, I'd submitted a handful. Um, I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're always sort of just throwing them into the void and right. you very rarely hear back about, about anything you submit. Right. But yeah, I was submitting. What's your general approach to like writing a packet? Well, it depends on the show because if it's right. a show that's on the air, you have to watch it and write in the voice of of the uh, host or the show. Um, so that's a big part of it with the opposition. Since it was a show that didn't exist yet, you really, the only two things we had to go off of was uh, how Jordan was on the daily show, because you know, that was, he was going to be playing a, a different character, but you sort of imagined his sensibility would be similar. Right. And then we knew that it was going to be inspired by the likes of Breitbart and Alex Jones from Infowars and that, and that kind of thing. So uh, with the opposition, I, Honestly, for the first time, I listened to Infowars for more than a few minutes because yeah. it was, uh, you know, I, I think I listened to four hours of it one day. And let me tell you something. If you ever want to feel like you are losing your mind, listen to Infowars podcast for four hours one day. Yeah, I mean, that, that guy is nuts. I mean, he's not well. I mean, and, and it's 70% ads, too. Uh, <laughs> is it true? I, or something like that. I mean, I remember, I mean, every two minutes, you would try to advertise mm. something. Is that like, is, is that weird that you have to like... I was thinking about that because, like, because now there's so many political comedy shows, and so people who start out just like comedians and stuff who just like want to do f- funny stuff, then they have to like all of a sudden become these like kind of political experts or like culture experts. <laughs> yeah, is that weird for you to like have to like think that oh this is like something else? This is a different skill set than that. Yeah, that that is a funny transition, um, and I feel like especially now because people look to comedians to be the voice of a generation or to you know give the political commentary that they feel like the news shows don't give Mm -hmm. um i was fortunate enough to be i've always followed politics pretty closely so that wasn't as big of a jump for me Mm -hmm. um but there are lots of things that yeah i wouldn't i mean i wouldn't follow uh anything as closely as you had to on the show so you know take scott pruitt for example if i was not writing on a show I would definitely know that he was embroiled in scandals, but I probably wouldn't know the seven different specific things that he was, uh, you know, doing. So right. I, you're just following it on a more nuanced level um, than I think your average mm-hmm. average person. It's interesting though, because I, I I think that's that used to, I think that was that's true, but I think it also used to be more true uh, before Trump was president, because now it seems like we know all these people's names. Yeah, Which yeah. Is odd. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, I thought back to like when I was in college, I didn't know who the um, 
Gosh, I, I mean, I don't think I would have known who the FBI director was. Right. Yeah, um, that's like the, the hero everyone's talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let alone the deputy attorney general. Yeah. Um, but yeah, now all of a sudden, these are household names that we all know. Even like, uh, like you know, Sean Spicer and Sarah Huckabee Sanders, like, it was like Robert Gates or something for Obama. Right? Oh, right, right, yeah. But Pre- like, who knew? But no one cared about that guy. Yeah, bro, yeah, I never really watched... Uh, Press conference. press conference, yeah. right? Yeah. Now all of a sudden, whenever there's a press conference, I, you you feel like you have to watch. I feel like that's waning a little bit because yeah, now we know that there's not much to be gained from them. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, when we were on the show, whenever there was a press conference, we basically would have to watch it because whatever she said at the time was going to, you know, dictate the next eight hours of news coverage. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Why do you think? I mean. I guess politics, I guess, are very popular. I mean, it's, it's, it's to, to paint that and like to say that in a, of a thing that's very serious, but it's, it is very popular right now as a topic yeah. in general. Do you think that's like, do you think political comedy, which political comedy because of that, I think is very popular. Do you think that's going to change anytime soon? I'm not sure. I, you know, I, I, I yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like all predictions at this point, I mean, I hesitate to make any predictions because I feel like we're in a place now that no one would have predicted. And I just feel like mm-hmm. if there's anything that teaches me, it's that eight months from now, we will likely be in a place that no one's predicting now. Right. Um, but I do wonder how much people's interest will sustain and how comedy will have to shift to accommodate for people's, uh, I guess just people's getting worn down. You know, I think we get tired of hearing the same, uh, sad news stories and i wonder how the comedy will have to adjust to keep people's interest and not just make them feel super sad all the time yeah it's it's interesting to think of like uh like the the, the traditional night shows like fallon and seth meyers and those guys if they're like when they're going to stop talking about politics like as much as they do like even jimmy fallon like who notoriously didn't want to talk politics now he's like very political which is which is odd. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, yeah, I wonder. I mean, that's the challenge, right? If you want to mm-hmm. be in topical comedy now, you sort of have to find a way to to be interesting and also address the things you need to address. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's what everyone everyone struggles to and to find the way to do that well. Yeah. How, how do you approach writing for like uh, the POV of like a Breitbart guy? Man, I mean, living in the, you sort of have to live in the, the world of Breitbart and Infowars, et cetera. So every morning I would check what, what were the stories they were covering, what was their angle. And then uh, sometimes you would borrow that, but other times you would, you know, find like, okay, well, if they believe this, then you'd have to find what's the more extreme version and you'd use showing, you know, through heightening, show how ridiculous the right. initial position And that was. can be difficult in these times, right? How to heighten the craziest thing in the world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's... That's the challenge. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like that, I I I haven't followed the story that closely, but the the Jacob uh, Wool guy. Is that oh my name? gosh! Yeah, like that's like insane that he's trying to like fuck at Miller with sexual assault, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you. I mean, it's it's almost funny. I think there's funny parts about it, but I don't know how you can like heighten that into something else. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's already so ridiculous that this twenty year old is. Uh, I mean, being talked about the amount that he is and that he had such a huge plan. And I think, last I checked, he's still sticking to his guns on it, too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he's so, going to have a press conference with some with one, like one of the women. And then at the last second, you're like, oh, she can't come. She can't come here. Yeah, she was never going to come. Yeah. Yeah, I, and yeah, I, we live in very strange times. We do. And, I, and it is weird to try to do comedy about that. It's yeah. hard. There's yeah. a lot of grifters, a lot of weird grifters. 
Yes, yes, a lot. And some of the stories are just so dark too. I, I remember when, uh, I guess I'm, I'm trying to think about the first big, basically during the show, there were so many mass shootings that would, you know, would happen. Um, and it's so tragic and it's sad and everyone's uh, devastated by it. And then you sort of have to ask yourself, well, how are we going to cover this mass shooting differently than we've covered the other mass shootings because we need to find, you know, a new angle to, um, to find satire in it. And that can be really hard. And sometimes pushing through those and, you know, the the first thing you do probably won't be the best thing. So you have to keep pushing yourself to find Mm -hmm. what's the more clever, the more exciting, the, the better satirical angle. So in some ways it's good to force yourself to really, you know, grind. But, um, I think at some point people are like, man, I really don't want to hear about mass shootings anymore, which is, you know, obviously that's symptomatic of a bigger problem than right. comedy. But And that's interesting, too, because your show specifically is like the POV of a Breitbart guy. Yeah. So how is he going to talk about mass shooting? Is there a sensitive way to do that? I don't know. Yeah. And you want to be careful that you're always targeting the right people. So, you yeah. know, you, you never want to make a joke at a victim's expense, et cetera. So your target's always going to be the people in power who are making bad mm-hmm. choices. Do, do you remember what you guys did for that? Man, there there was one segment that uh, it was just a, it was a cold open where Jordan was sifting through newspapers trying to find the the shooting for that that day, but okay. he just had all the other ones stacked up, yeah, so he yeah. couldn't find it. And he just kept listing off all the other ones, um, and that felt like a really clean way of just showing just how overwhelming the whole situation is, and just how many you know shootings there. Right, that's that's that pretty good. Yeah, that's fun. Uh, so well, fun's the wrong word. You know what I mean. <laughs> Uh, after doing a couple episodes, did you find the show kind of changing on the fly? Yeah, we were always retooling it. Um, one thing that one thing that I noticed that changed was when we first started, uh, Fox News wasn't really a part of it be- because they were more of a you know mainstream, quote unquote yeah. mainstream media source. And then even by the you know by the time our show was a few months in, Fox had shifted so far to the right and in, into that weird conspiracy world that. People like Hannity and Lou Dobbs and Tucker Carlson, all those guys became, you know, people that we started watching more frequently. Yeah, which is which is crazy. Yeah, hey, yeah, <laughs> go home and listen to uh, uh, Infowars and then watch uh, Hannity. Oh, That's yeah, you'll feel very good. Do you do you like writing political comedy? Oh, I do. I really, yeah, yeah. I, I I love it. Um, I think it's one. It's a a very effective way to say something you want to say about the world that matters. Mm-hmm. So I guess a lot of people talk about like uh, political satire, like it can change the world or it can like change what's happening. Do, do you, do you fall in that category? Yeah. I, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess I sort of have to choose to believe that because otherwise, you know, why are you, why, why would I be doing it? Mm-hmm. I remember, um, I want to say it was a Malcolm Gladwell podcast from a couple of years ago, and he talked about the power of satire and that, or rather the lack thereof, because uh, typically what would happen is the people would, who already agree with you would dig their heels in more, and the people who don't wouldn't get it, um, or just would dig their heels in more. And I think that's a good question to ask, like, how can you be most effective? And if you're not being effective, what can you do instead that is more effective? But I have to choose that, to believe that on some level you can change minds with art. And I feel like that's one of the best things art can do. Um, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't have the 
I don't have the magic recipe for how to right. do it, how to do it, how to do it well. Uh, did you like working on, like on a daily show? Oh, it's great. I mean, the it's it's a grind. You know, you wake up um, a few hours before work, read the news. What are people talking about? And then go in and know that you're going to be making a television show in six hours. So you know what you have to. What is that going to look like? Yeah, and then yeah. um, going home, rinsing and repeating. I love, I, but I love the the grind of it. I love the fast paced nature of it. I like that because everything is so fast. You can't be precious about anything. If you have an idea for a really great segment, and then two hours later the news changes, and that doesn't make sense to cover that anymore. I love that you, I, I really had to flex the muscle of just letting that thing go rather than fighting for something that no longer makes sense right. to, to cover. Uh, how, yeah. How would you handle breaking news each day? I'm sure especially during the time that show was on, there was a lot of breaking news each day. Yeah. Yeah. There, um, well, you could always change the show up until rehearsal. So sometimes something would happen at, um, I think what we rehearsed at like two o'clock every day, one thirty, two o'clock. So until then, we could always slide in a new subject. Uh, so if something broke, someone would be like, hey, what's our take on this? Let's get it up. After rehearsal, it's obviously much harder. And I think there were a few times when we would change something between rehearsal and the show. Um, but for the most part, after that, we were looking for quick things that we could do, maybe as a cold open, which is just, you know, that one minute right. beat at the top of the show. Um, so if you weren't on a piece that day, you would sort of be looking for uh, breaking news and things that might be relevant tomorrow, for sure, but also what's something we could cover really quick tonight uh, at the top. Mm -hmm. And how much of your time was split between um, doing stuff for that show, that show tonight, or the future shows? Most people's focus were uh, was on the show for that night. Yeah. Um, I think in any given show, I mean, there were uh, there'd be about six writers from the staff on any given show. I think so. Yeah, because two two people per piece, uh, so that leaves about four people who are, uh, you know, more free to be doing mm -hmm. other things. But when you weren't on a piece, you were also um, contributing jokes to the pieces that you weren't explicitly right. writing. So you were you were very still very focused on the show, but then you'd also sort of have a tab open with Politico or The Hill or something and some new site and trying to keep an eye on right. what's what's happening. And this was your your first television writing job. So, what was that transition like to doing this? Well, it, it was great. Um, yeah, it was the the first one, so uh, it was different, of course. But a lot of the skills that I learned in improv and working at Second City sort of mapped onto it nicely, um, which was good. And I, I wasn't sure how that would work. But a writer's room is basically a big. Uh, improv exercise Every, someone throws out an idea and all the other writers yes and it and um heighten it and explore it and that's an improv scene so uh in a lot of ways i think doing improv for a long time prepares you well for that environment um more than other things might it's funny because people have this idea i think of like comedy writers as these very quiet like i don't know the, the people that don't speak much you know and they're <laughs> kind of like into themselves but yeah, a writer's room—you have to be like um, engaging. You have to be—you have to be very present and 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 talking a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to perform, kind of. Yeah, you are. Um, and and I think you're right that there. Are, I mean, there are definitely quiet writers, shy writers, right. and, and every room's different. Um, but I think uh, at least the way our room was, uh, yeah, it was there was a big focus on positivity and um, 
uh, hyping each other's ideas and, and trying to support each other. And that's one of the, that's one of my favorite things about that job was how how great the writing staff was mm-hmm. and how supportive everyone was. What was uh, like your favorite segment from the show? Ooh, I don't know. Um, there were a few that got me. I feel like uh, oh, it's a good question. Favorite segment? Well, one that, one that I really liked. Um, was we used to do a segment called I Don't Recognize My Country Anymore where Jordan would, the character Jordan would bring up three different news stories that made him feel like the country was irreversibly changing uh, for, for the worse. And it was basically just making fun of all of the scared, scared yeah. people on the right who are you know so afraid of change and just want everything to remain the same. And uh, the way we approached it basically, we would just find the most ridiculous stories and then cover those. So it was a really fun silly break from the uh, doom and gloom of the daily Trump presidency right. stuff, which was really fun. That is probably nice on those shows to get away from Trump. Yeah, that's we, we, yeah, we even kicked around for a while the idea of doing a Trump-free week, which I think would have been really cool to do a whole week where you never cover him at all. Right. Um, but of course, he's, I mean, he is such a center of gravity. like He just pulls everything yeah. back to him. How do you think uh, comedy shows have tackled Trump? Like, how well? I don't know. He's a hard, he's hard to he's hard to cover because he's um, he's the first politician we have that is well he's not a politician but he's he's not serious a lot of the time and and, yeah. and when I think comedy is easier when you're when you're sort of making fun of serious things like Monty Python's making fun of the stuffiness of British culture that's that's easier to be ridiculous when the thing you're um, poking fun at is so stuffy. But Trump is, I mean, he makes jokes, you know, and so it's hard to joke about the joke he made. And there's only so many times you can make a segment about how ridiculous he is. So you, so you basically have to find um, more uh, more specific lanes to attack him, I think. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you said seriousness, because I think most people talk about how it's, um, you know, he's ridiculous. But the fact that he's not serious is actually, I think, much much more of the problem for, for making jokes. It's hard because, I mean, even his supporters know that the things he's saying aren't necessarily the things he actually believes. Right. And so pointing out that he's lying or that he's being hypocritical or hyperbolic, none of those really feel like fresh takes or exciting because mm-hmm. we all sort of know that. I mean, it's not a secret that he lies. I think there was, I think it was last week he was interviewed about, I can't remember what the context was, but uh, someone asked him about the... Uh, his claim that there were Middle Easterners in the caravan, mm. and they said, "This, you know, this is a uh, this is not a proven fact." And he said, "Well, sure, but you know, nothing's proven. Like, what, what's proven?" And so basically, he just destroyed the concept of truth. You right. know? And I feel like once, yeah, it's like, how do you make fun of that? I mean, yeah, that that's the challenge. That's that's what we have to do. Yeah, I I, I don't know the I don't know how to <laughs> yeah, do that. solve this. How it's, it's, it's crazy because he's he's been around now. Uh, as a politician, as, as someone running for president, at least since like 2015, and I don't think anyone's closer to f- getting a good take on him. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, there are some fun. I thought the uh, the president show had a really yeah. funny take on the character of Trump, and it was such a heightened version of him. Uh, I thought they did a really good job, and there's some, yeah, there's some fun ones out there. Yeah, but who, you know, who knows? Maybe he'll get another four years. We'll figure it out. Oh, yeah, maybe. Wow, there could be six more years of Trump. That is crazy to think about. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's only it's been less than two. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's nuts. Uh, was the show ending a surprise to you? I think. Yeah, I think it was a surprise to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think I sort of assumed 
don't know. You always want to assume the thing you're doing is going to last for a while, right? Because mm-hmm. if you if you're making decisions based on the fact that something might end, then you're basically never satisfied, or right, <laughs> you can never right, really right. relax. Um, but yeah, I, I assumed it would last longer than it did. Mm-hmm. What, what was it like, like writing the uh, the last episodes? Uh, it was, I mean, it was ch- challenging because uh, we were all very sad. So uh, sadness is not something that's very conducive to joy, uh, perhaps because it's the opposite of it. <laughs> but um, but it was uh, it was kind of a cool opportunity to wrap up these characters that we'd created, the correspondence, and also the character of Jordan in a satisfying way. So the benefit of finding out that we didn't have a second season while we still had episodes to go was we got to actually put a bow on it and um, write the show that we wanted it to be at the end. Mm-hmm. Whereas I know some shows you get canceled on winter break or something and you're like, by the way, you're not coming back. And right, right. like, Oh, okay. So I guess uh, that show about chipmunks was our final show. Okay. That was the <laughs> series finale. I guess that's what we did. Uh, what, what do you do in between jobs to, to get the next job? Well, I mean, shows and writing. Um, so uh, yeah, it's just do stand-up shows, do improv shows, write pilots, submit mm-hmm. packets, it's sort of the same yeah. back to the grind. Yeah. Uh, what would you like to be doing next? Oh my gosh. I, I mean, I'm, I'm up for, I'm up for, for anything. I'm up for anything. <laughs> no, no, not anything. But I mean, the, I'd love to find another show like uh, the opposition, which is one that I'm, I uh, was really uh, proud of and happy at. So uh, yeah, just making good work with people. I like being around. I think yeah. that's a hard, a hard thing to find us a, a show that's really good. And also, uh, staff people that you really like spending yeah. time with. So I feel very lucky to have found it at least once. All right. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're going to wrap up with even your thoughts on a sketch pitch. Okay, uh, yes, yes. Um, oh, yeah, so this is kind of this is kind of weird. Okay. Okay. A guy, so a guy is visited by, by a ghost who says that he, is, he has to do one more task before going to heaven. Um, and so the guy, the guy wants to help. He's like, so what, what do we need to do? And the ghost tells him, we, we need to write a young Sheldon spec where Sheldon jacks off for the first time. And then they proceed to, to work together and, and write the spec. And that's kind of all I got. It's like, <laughs> since I have an idea. I, w- I want to do something with like unfinished, like a weird thing that was like kind of like unfinished business, you know, like that trope of like the ghost has to do something for going to heaven. And I, ha- I threw around like uh, watching The Sopranos. <laughs> Just like they had to, he had to watch The Sopranos before he could go to like heaven. He, fought, he has to finish the series. Finished, yeah. yeah. But then I don't know. I thought that was not active enough. So, <laughs> so then I came with young Sheldon Speck. <laughs> I mean, I love it. So, so the idea is the guy dies, his spirit floats above him, yeah, and uh, a ghost or a, a spirit encounter, encounters him and says, "Hey, you're stuck here on Earth until you've completed this final task, and then you'll be able to right. leave this earthly plane." That's yeah. the idea. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. I mean, that's a fun trope that I actually haven't seen explored. I'm trying to think if I've seen that explored very much. I feel like I haven't, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's one of the most. Uh, exciting things about a sketch is to somehow find something that hasn't been explored very much. Yeah. I think that this qualifies. Wow. So I would say, especially with a trope. Yeah. Trips are, trips are meant to be explored. I know. I know. I, well, I mean, it's obviously if it hadn't been explored, it wouldn't be a trope, but I think specifically in sketch comedy, not that I've seen all the sketches, mm-hmm. but, uh, imagine watching all of the sketches. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's fun. I think the, the, the exciting thing about it is, uh, that you're yeah exploring this recognizable thing and and it's fun that people haven't seen it much. I think the challenge that I'm thinking of right away is how you show the 
passage of time from right. start. I mean, writing a spec script can take a you know a long time. Yeah, yeah. But I'm sure you could find music or lights to uh, aid in the passing of time. Yeah, it'd be interesting to do this one live. I don't know how how it would work live. Oh, you were thinking more of a video well, sketch. I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. It, I, I when I was th- when I was writing this up, I was like, yeah, I guess this couldn't be a live thing. Yeah. Then I guess if yeah, so if you're shooting it, then the challenge becomes you want to find. Uh, like what happens between him starting to write it and finishing to write it? Because the idea is right. you'd have to find obstacles, right? So <laughs> is young Sheldon a character that for whatever reason can't jerk off for the first time, you know? Right, right. Like there'd, ha- there'd have to be some sort <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I actually have never seen young Sheldon. Me but- <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that, that I, I always thought that that'd just be something they should address in that show, right? It's like puberty growing up, young Sheldon. Yeah, he is. I mean, what is he, like 11 He's like or 12? like 11, yeah. yeah. yeah, so yeah right, I mean, it's the right age. It's the right time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's fine. Say write it up. Okay. Yeah. All right, awesome. Uh, anything you want to plug? Oh, man. Um... <laughs> No, it's okay. Yeah, just uh, no, just plug this podcast. Just oh, keep, yeah. list, keep listening keep to this listening. podcast, please. Yeah. Uh, all right. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit boardwalkaudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.